0: The the parable that uh, we just uh, looked at and uh, will continue to look at is about the wealthy businessman who goes away far for an extended period of time, and so he asks three of his servants to take care of his holdings while he's gone, and he gives each of the three a different amount to manage. Eventually he comes back and he calls each of them to give account of how they managed his assets. uh, That's the parable, that's the story itself. But uh, what is it about? What does it mean? I uh, I think it's pretty simple actually. It's not hard to figure out in the context of things there. But it has to do with the responsibility of Jesus' followers us while we await his return he will die he will rise from the dead after after this setting he will ascend he will return and at that point he will ask his followers to give account now in the parable the holdings that are distributed to the three uh, called talents. In uh, most of our, even, even our newer other translations, they're still talents. But here in the NIV, they're uh, additions, uh, the recent addition, bags of gold. One servant is given five, the other one two, and the third one is given one. Now, I wonder if because traditionally we know this as the talents, if we think of it as gifts, I mean, that's the way we use uh, the word talent. What is your talent? And we appreciate your talent. But in the New Testament, a talent was money. It was a unit of exchange. It could be of gold. It could be of silver. It could could be of copper. And uh, one of the very reputable scholars, Don Carson, has estimated that a talent may have been worth about 20 years of labor in uh, buying power. And so that even one large uh, talent really would be a lot of money. In fact, uh, given, I did a little bit of quick math and it would seem to me that it would easily be a million dollars, Even one, even one talent, large amount. The man was obviously super wealthy and he gave to each of the servants a large sum to manage while he was gone. But what, what, does, what do these talents or these bags of gold, what, what do they represent anyway? Um, would it be our time? Would it be our opportunities? Would it be our gifts or talents in the way we use the word talent? And I would suggest that it's best not to restrict the application, but uh, rather to say that they represent whatever we have been given and therefore what we are responsible for. Our whole life, really. It's what we do with our life. Because life itself, our opportunities, our skills, our gifts, all that we have and what we are responsible for under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I think when uh, these uh, hymns were chosen, they, uh, they sort of fit that. Give of your best, you know, out your, of your life. Give of your best to the master. Or take my life and let it be. But everything we're responsible for under the authority of Christ. Now, I'd like you to just pretend for a minute or two, fantasize a little bit. What if you were this wealthy person? You had maybe a billion dollar to have people look after while you were gone. Uh, multimillionaire. millionaire uh, while you're going to be gone for a lengthy period of time, what would you require as important qualities? In the servants that you trusted with this, what especially would you be looking for? And of course, I'm, I'm sure you'd start with competence. The person would have to be very competent. And uh, because she's my daughter-in-law, not my daughter, I feel free to brag about her. I I, I have somebody at my fingertips. Uh, our daughter-in-law is probably the best accountant in Canada, Edmonton. <laughs> So she could handle it and she doesn't have my DNA. Like I say, that's why I can brag about her. But given that, of course you would look for somebody competent, but given that, what else? Why don't you, why don't you help me this morning? What, what are some things that come to your mind? What would you be looking for? Yes, Dawn. Responsibility, of course. June said honesty. Trust. Huh? She said, trust? Absolutely. We'd want those things. We'd want responsible, Kevin. Consistency. Integrity. Integrity. Yeah, of course. And there's a word that I think kind of puts it all together, what what you have said, which I've chosen to use this morning, of course. Faithfulness. You know? At the bottom, you would especially want someone who's faithful. And, of course, faithful, honest, integrity, they all go together. And faithfulness is stressed in this passage here. Verse 21 says, uh, you know, when, when, when he comes back and he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Faithfulness. And then it says the one that uh, went from two talents to uh, four, same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. <clears throat> no, no quality more important in assigning responsibility or in taking responsibility than faithfulness. <clears throat> we, had a, we have a book at home. Uh, it's a devotional book by Max Licato. It's for uh, morning and evening readings. And uh, and he makes this statement about faithfulness. He says, I choose faithfulness. Today I will keep my promises. My debtors will not regret their trust. My associates will not question my word. My wife will not question my love. And my children will never fear that their father will not come home. And I insert, intentionally will not fail to come home without faithfulness no assurance no guarantee no security no peace that we can count on things happening that are supposed to happen and we see tragic examples in the newscasts on a fairly regular basis of what happens when safety measures have not been applied faithfully buildings burn bridges collapse there's a text in Proverbs that uh, is kind of amusing and it's uh, it's a colorful description of what failure at faithfulness might look like Proverbs 25 19 it says like a broken tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in time of trouble. I mean think of it you need your you know you need to get out there you're in a pedestrian crosswalk and you got to get across and, and you're you're relying on your on your legs and all of a sudden you forgot that you got this one lame foot. Or you're uh, you're enjoying or you're going to enjoy the steak that's set before you and you bite into it whoops broken tooth. <laughs> and he's saying that's the way it is. That's a metaphor for uh, relying on somebody who's not faithful. Well, as we look at the parable, we see some characteristics of faithfulness in the two ser- servants. And the third one, by contrast, also helps us to, helps to see some characteristics. And so I want to mention uh, three this morning, or four, I think it is, four, four of these qualities of faithfulness. And uh, we see first of all that these faithful servants, they were serving as stewards, managers rather than owners. Verse 14, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and and entrusted his wealth to them. They were given this as a trust. They, They did not become owners but they were to be managers or steward. And you can think of a trust account as kind of a a similar kind of an arrangement. Trust account is not for those who are managing it, they're managing it on on your behalf. And and so they have to manage it according to the wishes of the owner. And that's what these uh, men had to do. Similar, Uh, the money was not theirs to keep, or to use to live a lavish lifestyle, but they were expected to, expected to manage it, stewards. And so it is with us as servants of Christ, ultimately we do not own our possessions. We don't own our children. We don't even own our lives. Life is a gift and we are managers and not owners. And as Christians, this is something we must be aware of all the time, that our life is a trust. We're not owners. We're responsible as stewards. And it's the same with everything we do in church. Some people get very possessive of their particular ministries. Some pastors get very possessive of the ministry that God has given to them. But we're not our own, and our service and our ministries are not our own. And I think, you, you know, a lot of church leaders can tell horror stories about certain situations in churches where there might be one person or one family. It's gotten to be where they own the, they own the place, and they're in control. Happened because of strong personalities or just being there for a long, long time. But the church is not ours. We are stewards we are managers first corinthians 4 1 and 2 paul is writing and he says this then is how you ought to regard us this is how you are to look at us as servants of christ as those entrusted with the mysteries god has revealed and then verse 2 now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove guess what Faithful. Faithful. ESV even uses the term steward. Stewards of the mysteries of God. Look at us as stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. All of these concepts are woven together, connected together there in those two verses. Servants. That's what we are. Servants, not owners. Stewards, not owners. Faithful as those given a trust. And that's very relevant for us now as we look to the future of our church, our situation. So carefully and prayerfully consider our future. True of everything about our church, we need to hold our preferences lightly, remembering that we're not owners, but we're stewards. We've been entrusted. True of our ministries, true of our programs. Through our assets of property and money, it all belongs to Him. Faithfulness means dealing with all of it as it is His, for it is His. Stewards. Now that makes our service pretty important, for we're not just serving other people, but we are serving our Master. So we must do everything, we must do our best for Him. Give of your Best to the master. And that brings me to the second quality we see here of faithfulness, and that is diligence. I see evidence of diligence here. That's to be hardworking, it's to be industrious, it's to be conscientious. It fits very well with the first two of the servants. Verse 16 says that uh, the one that was given the five it says that he went immediately, he went at once. <laughs> He went at once uh, and uh, put it to work. He put his money to work and on that basis, he was able to gather five bags more. And the next one also, he he was industrious. He found a way of making the money multiply. Didn't drag his feet, put his money to work. In contrast, the unfaithful one is described by the master when he comes home as being wicked and lazy. Diligent, no, negligent. Diligent is more than just showing up, but giving your best. A certain teacher wanted a promotion saying that I've had 20 years of experience. I deserve a promotion, but the principal answered her, you don't have 20 years of experience. You only have one year's experience 20 times over. Not exactly diligent. Show it up. Maybe, maybe she was even faithful to the class that was right before her, but she wasn't diligent in becoming better and better. There's a saying that's uh, very well known, and, and it's true as long as we understand it. And many have said this. Uh, Mother Teresa said it, and I'm sure many others have said, that God doesn't call us to be successful, only faithful. Faithful. And I agree with that. But we need to understand that sometimes being faithful means preparing to become successful. I mean, think of, think of Eden here. If, uh, you know, diligence for her means practicing faithfully and she's going to be successful. She already is, you see. And so, um, so it is. Uh, faithfulness means doing your best to become successful. Now I think we need that encouraging word in church work because we can be our best. We can be faithful and things don't, don't seem to happen. And so, yes, God calls us not to be successful but to be faithful. But if we're really doing our best, being creative, learning better ways of doing it, that in itself will often, not always, but often contribute to success. And so that's part of faithfulness for all of us, pastor, teacher, board member, those of you who do finance, those of you who who don't have defined roles, but you are helpful people, you are gracious people, you are encouragers. All of that is part of faithfulness, and it's part of being diligent. Diligence goes beyond the minimum requirements. And so work at it, be innovative, serve with diligence. But then there's a third one here. I think that's very important for all of us. And that is that they served as individuals. The master gave each of the three individuals respective, but not identical responsibilities. The master took into account their respective uniqueness. It says in verse 15, he gave to each according to his ability. He took into account their respective uniqueness, their individuality, and entrusted responsibility to each one according to what he considered suitable. What a potential for pride. Look, I got five talents. You only got two, and you only got one. Or what an occasion for jealousy. How come he gave you more than me? It's not fair. There's no hint of that there. And that's a a warning for us. Accept what God has given us and be happy. Accept what the other person has has been given and be happy. I think of the contrast between my, uh, my dad and myself. Uh, I've told some of you when, when you compliment me and affirm me for my music, and, and I've uh, told some people that uh, my dad was tone deaf. I obviously didn't get it from him. He didn't have any musical ability. And of course, I have a gift in music, but you know what? My dad wasn't jealous. He was proud of me, you know? and That's the way it should be. We have, we have different abilities and we should affirm and be glad for the abilities that different people have because the master has a right to distribute individually as he sees fit and our Lord still assumes that right and we are expected to serve with what we've been given and as, as it says in, in 21 and 23 it's interesting how how both of them ga- got the same reward from the master the one that had a double From two to four talents and he says or uh, let's start with the other one the one that had gone from five to ten he says well done good and faithful servant enter into the celebration or the joy of the Lord and that is exactly what the one who doubled from two to four got same reward we are only responsible for what we're given and that is all that he expects but it is what he expects well William Booth, interesting, read this in leadership a number of years ago. It says that for the first 10 years of his marriage, William Booth was in a quandary. What was God calling him to do? Then his wife, Catherine, a skilled Bible teacher was invited to preach in London. And while they were there, William took a late night walk through the slums of London's East End. Every fifth building was a pub. Most had steps at the counter so little children could climb up and order gin. That night he told Catherine, I seem to hear a voice sounding in my ears. Where can you find such heathen as these? And where there is such a great need for our labor? I have found my destiny. Later that year, 1865, the couple opened the Christian mission in London's slums. Their life vision to reach the down and outer that other Christians ignored. That simple vision of two people grew into the Salvation Army, which ministers through 3 million members in 91 countries. That was about 25 years ago, so the numbers could be much different now. When someone asked Booth the secret of his success, Booth remained silent for a few minutes. Finally, with tear-filled eyes, he said, there have been men with greater brains or opportunities than I, but I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth that there was. Several years later, when his daughter heard about her father's comment regarding his full surrender to God, she said, that wasn't really a secret. His secret was that he never took it back. (laughs) Both, I'm sure. He gave everything to the Lord, just like we sang there earlier. And he didn't take it back. And God used him according to who he was and according to his ability Like the two faithful servants here, they each worked with what they had been given. And for most of us, our faithful service will not result in us standing out as stars, not too many stars. Most of us won't be household names like William Booth, and that's okay. But you know, I've been thinking of late. What about those who have lost their ability to function well? We see that so much. And so sad, severe illness or accident. Think of those hockey players in that uh, Humboldt crash. And yet many of them are still going to, you know, play a different kind of hockey, but working at it. But it's sad, limited. Or how about people through bad judgment? How about people through sin? And they end up in prison, life sentence, and then they, then they turn around, they, they repent and they want their life to really count. The gospel, of course, has so much to tell them. But what do we say? What is the posture? And how about all of us as we get older? And you know, how about myself? When I get too deaf to play the piano and my voice, I can't speak anymore. What about it? What's left? What is left for those who are so limited? And here, I think there's, and, and I want to say when it comes to prison, you know, we have examples, right, of, you know, um, Chuck Colson with his prison ministries, um, Johnny Erickson Tata after a diving accident, so limited, paralyzed from the waist down or maybe from the neck down. And, uh, and, and, and so these people become well-known stars, but most of us, that's not what it's going to be. What can we say to them? What can be our posture? And I like here the wisdom from Mother Teresa. This is what she wrote or said. We cannot do great things on this earth, only small things with great love. Isn't that good, the word great? We can't do great things on this earth, but we can do little things with great love. And I think that's what I can do at age 100, right? I won't be able to play the piano. I won't be able to preach, but maybe I can do little things with great love. And maybe that's what the bus driver, I I feel so bad for him in that humbled crash. What if, I don't know if he's a Christian or not. What if he became, became a Christian and he wanted his life to really count? Locked up in prison for maybe 20 years, who knows? He can do little things with great love individual we're responsible only for what we've been given and we're responsible for what is within our reach limitations notwithstanding accepting them serving faithfully as a steward we're not the owner with diligence and then serving as individuals well forth as knowing the master The first two were faithful knowing exactly what it was that he wanted. And they served according to his wishes. He was wealthy. He was into making money. They made money for him. They managed what he had entrusted to them according to his values. And they were not afraid. They knew him somehow, that it was okay. And and here's such a contrast with the other one. Verse 24, he says, The man who had received one bag of gold came and he said, Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Somehow he did not know him personally. And it was almost like he's saying here, my master is the kind of person who will expect more than I can deliver. It's like he's saying, because of the kind of person you are, because you are impossible to please, I had no choice but to bury the one talent that you gave to me. Knowing the master and knowing what he really wants. See, if we think God is very hard to please, demanding what is unreasonable and always out to get us in one way or another, we're not going to serve him except grudgingly at best. But when we know him as caring, when we know him as ordering what is best, secure in his love, realizing that when we fail, he helps us to get up again and gives us another chance and another chance and another chance. When we know him in that way, then we're free to serve him according to love, with love and according to his values. Well, as I move to a close, what is our master committed to? What is it that he really cares about? How do we serve him according to his values? what he wants. And of course, that's, that's a question that should be before us all the time, 24-7. What is it that he really cares about? What is it that he wants? Keeping it simple, I, I've got three things or so here. A, he cares about people. And he cares that his people care about other people serving them, sharing his love, their love with them. B, he cares about truth, his gospel. He cares that people and his truth be linked together so that more and more people become his disciples and that those who are his disciples become stronger, more effective if they're diligent in the sense of growing. Yeah, that's what he wants. Ever more faithful disciples. And then C, uh, the master cares that we live in such a way that his qualities are seen in us in fact we are called to be his very presence in a hurting world being a people of mercy who are committed to alleviating the pain that has come as a result of the curse of sin that's part of kingdom work when you think about it it's alleviating pain alleviating uh, the pain caused by the curse as it says later in this very chapter starting at, I think it's verse 31, to the end of the chapter. It says that his sheep, his sheep were those who took care of the hungry and the thirsty. They clothed the naked. They visited those who were sick and those who were in prison. And they gave hospitality to strangers. Think refugees. Hospitality to strangers. And it's wonderful that so many churches have banded together to find a way of welcoming refugees. We are to serve him as stewards with diligence according to his values, but according, according to our individuality, what we were given, and then according to his values. But notice how the thing ends up. He says, verse 28, So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. Imagine, the one who had only one and did nothing with it, he gave it to the one that had ten. Because Jesus says, Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a principle here that when we walk in the light that we already have, we are given more light. And if we don't walk in the light we have, even more darkness will creep in. It's kind of like what you don't use, you lose. And so let's be alert. Father, we pray that we might indeed be alert to what you value. But because we serve knowing that you love us, we dare, we dare to try things, we dare to take risks. Because we know that in your mercy and grace, you give us opportunities after we fail. Help us then to be good, faithful, stewards of jesus christ we ask it in jesus name amen